Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, January 31st by Pastor Rob Schaff. This is the fifth sermon in our series entitled The Joy of the Lord, the Book of Philippians. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. If you're like me, at one point or another, you've had some help in your life. Someone has come alongside of you and pointed your life in the right direction. And maybe it was your parents, or a spouse, or a friend, or a neighbor, or a mentor, maybe a counselor, or a cabin leader, or a youth leader, or a pastor, or a coach, or a teacher, but whoever it was, they gave you a timely word of encouragement that gave you a little nudge in the right direction. Or maybe they gave you a lifetime of little nudges that helped to keep you on a good course. Or maybe it wasn't a little nudge, maybe it was a big old uh, kick in the butt that got you back on track. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Being people, we need other people in our lives who will sharpen us, who help to point us in the right direction. This is a common theme in tons of movies and TV shows. The hero always has someone that helps them to see the bigger perspective, how they fit into it, what steps they need to take to become the hero they were meant to be, and who ultimately emboldens and enables them to take the steps they need to take on their hero's journey. Every Luke Skywalker has his Obi-Wan Kenobi. Every Buzz Lightyear has his Sheriff Woody. Every Frodo has Gandalf or Sam or Aragorn. I don't know. Lord of the Rings is sort of confusing. There's lots of layers in that one with who's mentoring who. But anyway, I only know nerd movies, and so hopefully those examples get the point across. Uh, Well, okay, I know nerd movies and I know kid movies. I just watched... Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, with my family last weekend. Now, parents of young kids, if you watched Homeward Bound when you were a kid, you probably remember it hitting you pretty hard when you were little. Well, even though it's pretty cheesy and very formulaic, I can confirm that it is just as much of an emotional roller coaster now as it ever was uh, for parents and for kids. The formula that Homeward Bound follows is sort of the same formula as Star Wars, Toy Stories, and Lord of the Rings. People journeying together, growing deeper in friendship, and developing as individuals as they overcome obstacles together and reach their ultimate goal. In the case of Homer Bound, the people are house pets. Two dogs, one cat. The journey is a literal journey through treacherous mountains, and their goal is home. Shadow, the older and good, wiser dog, imparts his wisdom onto the younger, foolish, bad dog, Chance. At the beginning of the movie, Chance is this cynical rescue dog who doesn't care about the family that adopted him, and his only goal in life is to have fun and wreak havoc. And by the end of the movie, Chance has learned from Shadow how to be a good dog, to love his family, to desire home. Now in movies, it's usually a major plot point when the mentor can no longer walk alongside the protege. It's fully up to the protege to take their next steps and continue on the direction they were pointed towards by the mentor. Now in Star Wars, it's when Obi-Wan puts down his lightsaber and is struck down by Darth Vader. Will Will Luke rise to the cause? Will he continue on the path? In Homeward Bound, it's when Shadow falls in a hole and he can't get out. Will Chance still be a good dog if Shadow isn't there beside him? Will Chance continue the journey home? I mean, I'm, I'm actually even getting emotional 
thinking about it, and I cry every time I watch the scene when Shadow falls into the hole, even though I've probably seen the movie a hundred times. None of us have gotten where we are in life all on our own. We've all had people that walk alongside us and point us in the right direction. And some of the most painful moments we will experience in life is when those people can no longer walk alongside us. Maybe it's because they've moved away. Maybe it's because they've passed away. But I know the reason I cry in Homeward Bound, even though I know it has a happy ending, is because I know what it's like to walk hand in hand with a mentor and how hard it is to continue in the right direction once they're no longer by my side, helping me out and cheering me on. I think, there, uh, I think there's a bit of that in what Paul is writing in his letter to the Philippians. A mentor speaking words to encourage a protege church when he knows the journey he started them on and the goal they're pursuing, they will need to continue on without him there beside them. Today we're reading from Philippians 2, 12 to 18, and it goes like this. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says that the Philippian church has always obeyed. Their faith has led them to a life of sacrifice and service, and this brings Paul joy and makes him glad. But their journey isn't done. Their story isn't over. They've got some work to do as they continue their journey, both continuing the work they've started as well as new challenges they'll have to face. For this leg of their journey, Paul isn't with them anymore. In fact, with the persecution Paul is facing, he's considering the very real possibility that he might not be with anyone for much longer. Even still, and maybe because of this, he encourages them to take their next steps without, them there, without him there beside them. And he is confident that all of the work he's done to point them in the right direction will not be in vain. He looks forward to the day of Christ when he can boast about how it was all worth it. That thought brings Paul joy, and he hopes it brings them joy too. Now, there's a lot that we could kind of focus on in this passage for this message. In this passage, Paul addresses matters of integrity, our natural tendency to only please others and obey God when other people are watching. That's verse 12. Or that Christians shouldn't grumble and argue. That's verse 14. Or an example of a missionary life well lived. Verse 16. Or living with joy in the midst of persecution and possible martyrdom. That's verse 17, verse 18. And all of those are in there. Uh, but the most striking thing Paul says is about God. Because even though it's helpful to read this as a message between Paul the mentor and the Philippian church, the protege church, this is primarily a passage about Paul hoping this church will continue in the direction he has pointed them towards through his sharing of the gospel with them and his building up of the people in that church. And that direction is 
God. It's all about God. In verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul says, God works in you to fulfill his good purpose. So continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is Paul talking about? Well, first, Paul is saying that God works through his church. God shapes our will and our actions as individuals and as a community to accomplish his good purposes. This is how God got things done in Paul's day. And this is how God is getting things done in our world today. Through his church, through people like you and me who are obedient, who are obedient to God. Secondly, when Paul says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's important what we, that we understand what he's saying clearly. He isn't talking about us working with fear that we aren't good enough to earn salvation from damnation. Because I'll tell you one thing for sure. We definitely aren't good enough to earn salvation from damnation. That's a core gospel fact. Salvation from our sins was accomplished for us by Jesus on the cross. It's not something any amount of our working could ever accomplish for ourselves. And it's only God's grace freely bestowed upon us through believing in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that we are saved. Paul isn't saying we earn salvation through our works. That's not what Paul means when he says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not only that, but in 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And the Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul, they're not contradicting each other. So what is Paul talking about when he says to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling? Well, working out our salvation simply means obeying Jesus, living out the gospel, not working for our salvation, working out our salvation. So what does it mean to obey Jesus with fear and trembling? Theologian N.T. Wright says that it's because the Philippian church will have to think through with an independent, though still obedient mind, what the gospel means for them where they are. The fear and trembling isn't because we are afraid of screwing up and getting it wrong and being squashed by God's foot as a consequence, like we're living life in some Monty Python sketch. This isn't the fear and trembling of an oppressed person cringing before their oppressor. This fear and trembling comes from a realization of our own human helplessness and powerlessness to deal with living life triumphantly on our own. It's sort of like the fear you feel when you're first learning to ride a bike. Up until this point, the Philippian church could count on Paul to help point them in the right direction. Paul was like training wheels on a bike and a parent running close behind shouting, Hey, look ahead, pedal, don't forget to pedal and, and keep your eyes ahead. But now the training wheels are coming off and the parent can't run behind them. They've got to do the scary thing. They've got to keep pedaling and keep their eyes pointed in the right direction all on their own. Now, obviously, this isn't exactly like riding a bike because riding a bike, riding a bike is eventually something that we can master. And working out our salvation is something that the church will always be working on. And besides that, working out our salvation 
isn't something that we can even do under our own steam. We do it by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But that being said, we are still the ones who need to do it with fear and trembling, even without the training wheels, without the parent chasing close behind. The Philippian church needs to pedal into whatever situation God brings their way. That's no easy task. That requires fear and trembling, sober-mindedness, and an accurate perception of what's going on. Now, the third thing that this is saying in this, this first section is this. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. He is saying to the, something to the Philippian church, this is something that you guys need to do for yourselves. It's not something that I, Paul, can do on behalf of you. Now, think about it like this. For example, I, Rob Schaff, can't live a faithful, obedient life for God on behalf of you, whatever your name is. I can't be your proxy in living your life for you. You must live a faithful and obedient life for God if God is to accomplish his will and his purposes through you. You've got to grow into Christian maturity, take responsibility for your obedience. You must grow to obey God in every area of your life. I can't do it for you. You need to work the gospel out in your life. So about God, Paul is saying, church, in life, as you take each scary step of obedience towards God, God works in and through you to accomplish his purposes, so keep it up. Then in verses 14 to 16, Paul gives them a practical example of how God works in this way. Verse 14 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Have you ever had a group project in school or college or university? They always drove me crazy. Why? Well, because you rarely got to pick your group. And so you're kind of bundled up against your will with a bunch of randos who don't naturally get along or work well together. Which means it'll probably be a fight to figure out the right direction for the project to take. It also means that people, you know, there's always going to be one or two people that tend to slack off and everybody else has to pick up the slack and everybody's overall grade suffers for it. Many a group project ends embracing a mentality that goes something like this. Well, we don't have to get along. We just need to finish the task at hand. Well, God's group project we've all been assigned to is called the church. And getting along isn't an optional thing. It's essential to the task at hand. When Paul says do everything without grumbling or arguing, he means everything. Not some things. Not most things, not just the things that we feel like doing, but everything. And that is because every possible activity in the life of the church and every possible activity in the life of a believer is an opportunity for the outworking of our salvation. Because every area of life is transformed by our salvation in Christ. And so Paul is saying that it is all to be done without grumbling arguing. Now, grumbling has the idea of whispered complaints, negative comments, backbiting. And arguing is about quarreling and debating in ways that are satisfied with instilling doubt and causing division. Grumbling and arguing is how, in the Old Testament, Israel reacted anytime they were dissatisfied in life from the desert onwards. And if they weren't grumbling and arguing at God directly, they were grumbling and arguing against each other. Paul's view, Paul views quarreling and complaining as serious flaws that will destroy the unity 
of the Christian community in Philippi. And rather than holding on to arguments and grumblings, the church holds on to the word of life, Jesus. You can tell a wicked and a crooked generation by its divisions, its grumblings, its arguments. And you can tell a blameless and pure children of God by what unites them, Jesus. The church shouldn't work. By all outside indicators, we are as mashed together as any group project. Different social circles, different socioeconomic situations, different ethnicities, different walks of life. But we all have one thing in common, Jesus. And that's the one thing that changes everything. So the church doesn't live by the words, getting along is unimportant. It just, let's just get the work done. That's not how the church works. Instead, the church motto is something more like this. In everything we do, we are working out our obedience to Jesus. We find our unity in Christ. And because of that, we can get along in spite of our differences. Uh, Paul says that this is an example of how God works through a church that finds unity in Christ. Because a bunch of misfits grouped together, united in Christ, is a beautiful thing that people will take notice of. And this serves to advance the gospel. And N.T. Wright actually goes one step further. He says... What Paul is saying is not just that the Philippians are to be a sign of light and beauty in a world of darkness and ugliness. They are to be a sign of God's new life in a world that only knows the way to death. I love that. It captures what's at stake and why we must work this out with fear and trembling because it's a really big deal. Now the third section of this passage in verses 16 to 18, Paul says... Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul has put a lot of his blood and sweat and tears into this church. A lot of running, a lot of hard labor. And they are pointed in the right direction towards Jesus. And Paul knows that they'll continue to work out their faith in obedience, loving and serving one another, which will be a pleasing sacrifice to God. And if all that's left for Paul's life is to be poured out on that sacrifice like a drink offering, a libation poured over the altar at the end of the sacrifice to God, he rejoices because his life and his efforts will have not been in vain. He looks forward through the suffering that he's facing to the day of Christ when he will be able to point to the Philippian church and say, totally worth it. (coughs) To summarize, here's what Paul is saying in Philippians 2. Church, in life, as you figure out and take each scary step of obedience towards God, God works in and through you to accomplish his purposes. So keep it up and own it for yourselves even though I'm not there with you. In everything you do, you are working out your obedience to Jesus. So don't grumble and argue with each other, but get along by finding your unity in Christ. Because when you do, you show a world that knows only death and division, a better way of God's new life and unity in Christ. If you do this, and I know you will, the suffering that I've been facing will have been worth it. For you will have continued walking towards God. And that brings me joy bigger than any suffering. Now tomorrow is February 1st. And March 15th of 2020 was the first Sunday that we weren't able to gather as a congregation due to COVID. And now we've been doing that for almost a year. 
For almost a year, we haven't been able to meet and encourage one another to point each other to Jesus as we normally would. And even when we were able to do our under 50 gatherings and small group gatherings, many were unable to gather and unable to join in. Under normal circumstances and in our normal routines, going to church was the one time in a busy week where people could count on seeing other people who wanted to help them get their life pointed towards Jesus and where they could do the same for the others who had gathered. And when we had that routine established, all of those good things kind of happened almost accidentally. But circumstances aren't normal and haven't been for almost a year. And I fear that for some, they no longer have space in their life where that sort of interpersonal discipleship can accidentally happen. They don't have someone helping to point them in the right direction anymore. I think many are floundering, unsure of how to ride this bike we call following Jesus without the training wheels and without the parent running behind them, cheering them on, but also keeping their attention directed forward. And so the bike is up on the kickstand and people are in a holding pattern. As I was contemplating what God might possibly be trying to say to us, Sardis Fellowship, through this passage, um, last weekend it hit me like a ton of bricks. People of Sardis Fellowship, in life, especially life in a pandemic, as you figure out and take each scary step of obedience towards God, God works in and through you to accomplish his purposes. So keep it up. And own it for yourselves, even though we can't gather in person to support one another and spur one another side by side, spur one another on side by side. Even though Zoom calls are awkward and watching a service on TV is lackluster, even though we haven't shaken a pastor's hand in a year, in everything you do, you are working out your obedience to Jesus. So don't grumble and don't argue with each other, but get along by finding your unity in Christ. Because when you do, you show a world that only knows death and division, the better way of God's new life and unity in Christ. And if you do this, the loneliness, the pain of separation from one another, the awkward Zoom calls, the real suffering caused by COVID restrictions, it will have all been worth it for you and I will have continued walking towards God together and we can find joy in that. Here's the Coles notes. God is working through you individually and through us as a church as we obey him in our lives. So don't grumble, don't argue. Instead, find and hold on to Christ and find our unity in him. And if you do these things, then your faith has a point. And if you don't, then it doesn't. So about obeying Christ. Are you reading your Bible personally? Are you talking about it with someone? Are you talking about what you're reading with somebody? Are you talking with Christian friends about how, obe how obeying Jesus is going? Is there someone in your life right now who is helping you to point you in the right direction? Are you doing that for someone else? You need to own this for yourself, especially these days when the routines of Sunday morning church have been disrupted. This will take extra effort, fear and trembling. So make a phone call, join a Zoom discussion or a Zoom Bible study, go for a walk with a Christian friend and talk about Jesus with them. Make it a point to talk about Jesus. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. That's Proverbs 13:20. Walk with the wise. 
So don't grumble or argue, but instead hold on to Christ and find unity. Now there is plenty for us to grumble and argue about these days in a pandemic. But if we're being honest, there was plenty that we grumbled and argued about before the pandemic. Now wasn't there? Nobody's at their best right now, but that's no excuse to stop striving towards finding our unity in Christ as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Proverbs 6 says, The Lord hates a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Together we let go of our grumblings and our arguments, and together we hold on to Christ alone. That means hard conversations, conversations I'm sure we'd rather not have, but grumblings and arguments threaten the very unity of the church. And you need to own this for yourself. You need to contribute to the unity of this church because you are this church. When you find yourself facing grumbling or arguing with a brother or a sister in Christ, or maybe they bring to your attention that you are in fact grumbling or arguing, in Christ, take a breath, commit the conversation to prayer, pray for unity, pray for focus on Christ, and when you work out, and then you can work out your salvation with fear or trembling. If you don't do these things, then what's the point of your faith? Pastor Dave used to say, the mediocre Christian life is not worth living. And Paul was thankful that the Philippian church wasn't interested in mediocrity. He knew that they would rise to the challenge, and it brought him joy. Sardis, fellowship. God is working through you as you obey him in every area of your individual and corporate life. Don't grumble or argue. Instead, hold on to Christ. Find unity in him. Do these things in whatever situation comes your way so that God will work through you and your faith won't be in vain. That is how we work out the gospel. Do these things, and we will still be growing stronger as a church, even though we can't meet in person. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do this. Help us to know that you are working through every big and every small act of obedience. Help us as a church to let go of, of our arguments and our grumblings, and to grab onto Christ to hold on for dear life sometimes. Help us to find our unity in you, Lord. And may we do this so that all of this suffering caused by this pandemic, all of the relational turmoil, all of that, Lord, will be worth it in the end because we will have grown stronger as a church and we will have furthered the purposes of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Here are some discussion questions. What is fear, what is a fear in life, big or small, that you've had to push through? How did you do it? Two, how have you been experiencing letting go of grumbling and arguments and holding on to unity in Christ in your life? What are a few steps that you or others took to make that happen? And three, people grumble and argue all the time, especially on social media. How do you or don't you work out your salvation with fear and trembling in that arena, on social media? Why or why not are you trying to make this? Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.